Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode 61. My special guest is Charlie Williams. Hi, welcome Charlie Williams to Broadway's Backbone. How are you today? I'm doing really well, Brad. How are you? Good. I'm thrilled you're here. I'm happy to be here. We're so here I'm going to start by reading your credits and then we'll go from there. Great. Started with the Radio City Christmas Spectacular, Memphis, Leap of Faith, How to Succeed on Broadway Without Really Trying, the Daniel Radcliffe version, mm-hmm. Silence, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, you were the movement associate, mm-hmm. and the dance captain of Miss Saigon. Yes, wow, there you go. Yes, did I miss anything that you are really proud of? Yeah, we for a while there I was working more in the film and television area as far as like the Oscars and the Kennedy Center Honors and the Tony Awards. Oh, really? And yeah, that was kind of my bread and butter for a little bit after How to Succeed closed. That's been really in the live musicals as far as Peter Pan Live and oh, Sound of Music Live. So those were like... That was a good three, four year period there where I was really, you know, between how to succeed and now I've really been doing a lot more of the film and television thing. So did you enjoy that? Did you enjoy that more? Is it completely different? I mean, it's completely different in a in a different way, but yeah, I one of my favorite things is being is being able to do all these different facets of this business is crazy. So I, I think it's important for people to know that it's not just Broadway or bust. You know, there's a there's a whole bunch of other opportunities out there. Especially now, it keeps growing and growing, and uh, you know, possibilities are endless. Uh, so were you a lost boy? <clears throat> I was not a lost boy. I think I outgrew my lost boy. I was associate choreographer on it oh, to Rob okay. Ashford. And then I was the crocodile, which got me some good random fame for my five seconds of fame there as the <laughs> crocodile and Peter Pan. A pirate, and we were we called them islanders at the time instead of the Indians like in the original oh, Peter okay. Pan, because nowadays, you know, the islanders is more PC. Yeah, I kind of just wore like a million hats in that show. It was constantly running around for Peter Pan Live. Oh, that's so great. I love that the live thing has taken off now, and yeah. now they have competing networks. It's, yeah. it's a good thing. You know, people have a lot to say about the live shows and each year I think they get better and better but you know you got to start somewhere yeah and, and it, people don't realize how hard those shows really are so anybody who's doing it now you know hairspray just happened I think you know kudos to them it's yeah. it's not easy and the amount of kids and new people are actually seeing musicals that's what it's about it's not about the jaded theater people it's about the newbies exactly I mean nowadays it's really dance especially with so you think you can dance and all these other award shows dancing with the stars I mean like it's really coming into the pop culture again which I think is a great new thing Hamilton you know is bringing in we're winning platinum records again you know it's kind of a throwback to when the pop songs of the day were musical theater songs so you know it's a great time to be in theater yes it is so where are you from and where'd you get started? I am from uh, North Carolina, Raleigh, just outside in a small town called Cary. I mean, I was born in Houston, Texas, and we moved around a little bit, lived in Florida for a second, but yeah, Ra- uh, Raleigh is, is home. And did you dance all through childhood or where did that come to? Well, truthfully, where it all started is I wanted to meet the hot girls in school, in middle school. And I guess at the time I didn't even know I was gay, but, you know, maybe I just wanted to hang out with them and do their hair. I don't know. But uh, I, and all the cute girls were in dance class. So I was like, well, instead of doing all these other classes, why would I do any of that when I can go dance and talk to the hot girls? So I did that. And then I was like, wait, I'm more interested in dance than I am the in the ladies. So, uh I started taking dance in middle school. I was at like kind of a more arts, you know, we call it a magnet school in seventh and eighth grade. 
And then when I got out in high school, I started taking dance class outside of, you know, at a dance studio. And then it just kind of was my thing. I did, you know, like some people play sports, I danced. And then it kind of took off and I felt like I was good at it. And the rest is kind of history. How much of it did you train a lot? And then how much of it are you, because you're naturally very... You're gifted. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely had some natural ability there and just kind of, I like to just groove anyway. Like, I was always the one at the dances who was, like, popping and locking and doing whatever <laughs> I needed to do. So, like, I like that. But then, as far as training goes, right after high school, I didn't go to a four-year college. I went to a program called the Edge Scholarship Program in Los Angeles. And that was a year-long program, kind of full-time. You're not allowed to you know, audition for jobs when you're on the program. Oh. You're not allowed to do anything else. And truthfully, you don't have time for anything else. But big shout-out to Bill Prudish and everyone at the Edge Scholarship Program who let me on there. So Because that changed my dancing. As far as training goes, that was the first time I was in class, in a ballet class you know, every single day, because I had such a lack of technique at that time. But, uh, you know, I was, I feel like it was kind of a great learning curve, because I was pretty much the worst one in the program. But by the <laughs> end, so I worked a lot yeah. harder, because I knew I was, I was embarrassed, truthfully. And right. The embarrassment kind of <laughs> pushed me <laughs> and drove me to really try, 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 because I, I was not one of these kids who was in the competition world and, and do, you know, learning how to do quadruple pirouettes at eight years old, you know, that wasn't my training. So L.A. and the scholarship program really brought my dancing to a new level, for sure. Were you teased at all for being a, a guy dancer or like even in middle school when you were after the girls? Yeah, I mean, I was teased, but... <laughs> I wasn't really, I don't know, like, yeah, I got called, like, Twinkle Toes a couple times, but it wasn't really a big, I kind of kept to myself anyway in in middle school and high school, and I was in the drama department, I was in the plays and things like that, so I really kind of hung out with all the dorks, you know, I I, I kind of, we kept to ourselves in the musical theater, in fact, in high school, it was a different building altogether, so it was kind of, the building was, like, orchestra and choral and Mm. drama and dance, so we all just kind of had our little island of, you know, musical theater geeks, and we just stayed there and took care of our own, really. So no, fine. it makes sense. Yeah. So you're very known for being an exceptional dancer, but did you train singing and acting? or did Yeah. You work- I actually was doing more of that in middle school and high school. Like, as far I was a drama club kid, so that's, oh, okay. I wanted to be like, you know, I was that guy. So I took voice lessons, you know, at least once a week. I wasn't in choir, but I was more trying to be like this, sh- you know, this showman sort of like actor guy. Mm. Not really dance. Dancing was the least of my abilities at that time, for sure. But then I just liked it even more, and I knew I sucked at it, really. I mean, <laughs> I truthfully, I keep saying that, but it, wow. I really wasn't very good. So that's why I went to L.A. And you also do tricks now, I mean, now in your, in your dancing. Well, now, maybe. I mean, every now and then I'll throw out a trick, but yeah. I wasn't, I was never a tumbler. I'm not a tumbler now, and I'm not, I never have been. But I, in Saigon especially, I wish I was, because we need to cover that, uh, <laughs> these tumbling tracks. Is it on a rake? No, we're oh. not on a rake, thank oh, God. Oh, good. So what was your transition from L.A. to get you to New York? Well, I always knew that I wanted to do Broadway. Even though I was in L.A. and I was in Hollywood, I always knew somehow I was going to get back to Broadway because that's my thing. I wasn't really the the one to be dancing for J-Lo or dancing mm. on the tours. or when it, I mean, I wanted to, and I was always kind of trying too hard to do that. It wasn't really my thing. Did but, you do hip-hop? I mean, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved hip-hop. I mean, that's what I did more like as a kid in North Carolina was hip-hop stuff, less technique, mm. which is, you know 
problem I'm still trying to deal with. But yeah, I was trying to do that, and I did. I, I danced for a lot more companies doing like industrials. So we did industrials for Mattel, where I was a dancing Ken doll, and we did Rusk hair products. I was doing more a lot, a lot of commercial dance, and and like events at Disneyland too. I, was, mm. I worked there for a bit. And then I, my agent called and said they wanted me to come in for 9 to 5 for Andy Blankenbuehler oh, to be okay. in 9 to, 5, 9 to 5 The Musical. So I said, great, I'll, I'll be there. I flew out here, and I got cut the first round, <sighs> like right away. And I was like, man, I can't believe I flew out here for this. But then I just literally I went to the backstage magazine, and they were auditioning for a show called Memphis that nobody had heard about, some random little show in La Jolla. So I was like, well, whatever. I live in California anyway, but like, let me, I'm here. I might as well go yeah. in. So I didn't know Sergio Trujillo. I didn't know who he, he was. I didn't know anything. But I went to this kind of open call for the show called Memphis. And then next thing you know, I booked it. And, you know, they were putting me up in La Jolla. So I kind of moved to La Jolla. Because even though I lived in California, I was booked as a New York hire because that's oh, where I auditioned. So cool. it really worked out well for me. And then from there... Uh, Memphis was in La Jolla, and while I was in La Jolla, I got called to... I had already auditioned for Radio City Christmas, and they said, will you come to New York and be in Radio City Christmas? And that happened, like, by the by the grace of God, it fell right between the production of Memphis in La Jolla and the production of Memphis in Seattle. Like, day to day. I'm not kidding you. Like, it was... I meant flew, like, one night and got there the next morning to start rehearsals for all these things. So it was meant to be. So I did Radio City, which was the craziest, amazing, jo- most amazing job ever. And then I went right to Memphis in Seattle. And then Memphis came into Broadway and... The rest is a kind of history. Yes. Yeah. So your first New York debut stage is the Radio City Musical. Absolutely. That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah. It was it was a dream come true. And so were you one of the the dancers? Did you have to do any like the the bear heads? People. Yep. Them? I was the Russian bear, so I was doing toe touches in the bear head. Oh, that's like, a good bear to be. Yeah. At like eight thirty a.m. every morning, it was. That was the craziest. Really, like on my own adult time I had, because everyone who was doing Radio City here was living in New York City. Yes. I was I was from out of town. La Jolla was different because everybody was out of town and we were kind of our own family. You know when you do like an out of town show. Yes. So everybody like went to dinner together, whatever, and Radio City was the first time where it was kind of me being an adult and going to my job and then trying to figure out a life for myself outside of it, you know, because everyone else had their own thing. Yes. But it was the greatest group, I will say. Radio City is probably the most fun I've ever had on a job in my life. I mean, I was new and it was fresh and exciting, but the group of guys were amazing. We were all gay in the cast. (laughs) Not that that has anything to do with it, but like, it was just such a great dressing room and such a great time. And of course, it's Radio City, the Christmas Spectacular, so it's it's just a great feeling. So I look look back on that job really, really fondly. And then comes Memphis, which was a huge mm-hmm. hit on Broadway, mm-hmm. and it was your Broadway debut. Yes. And what was that like, making your Broadway debut from the kid from the South? It was surreal. I mean, there's really not uh, nothing else to say about it. I, it, it was just I, it was something that I had basically secreted, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be on Broadway, and... I had friends at the time who also had the same dreams and they wanted to record cast albums, they wanted to uh-huh. dance on the Tony Awards and blah, blah, blah. And here I was doing all that. I mean, Memphis afforded me not only to move here permanently, but, you know, I was getting paid good money. I was the original cast. It just kind of, it, it checked all the boxes. I yeah. was in the original cast. We won the Tony Awards, or the Best, Best Musical Tony Award. We recorded our cast album. 
and we already knew each other, so we were already a really tight-knit group anyway. So it was just, it, you couldn't ask, you really couldn't ask for anything more for that. And it was the only year that actually, that the winning Tony Award musical got to dance again. Do you remember that? Like, it, they don't do it anymore, but on the Tony Awards, that year, they were trying something different where the cast got to come back out. Like, once they were like, and the best musical goes to... Yes. And at that time, we were waiting backstage with, like, Fela and American Idiots. So we were all waiting backstage with a, a number prepared, yeah. ready to go again. The same number or well, different Well, it number? was a different, it was, like, a different take on it. Oh, okay. And so then they called Memphis, winner, best musical, and, like, the curtain went up, and we came out, and we danced again, and it was the only time that's ever really happened. They haven't done that again. No. And so there you are dancing on the stage at Radio City, and everyone's crying, and the whole cast is in costume. It was just surreal. I mean, it's crazy. Oh, it's completely crazy. And so here the boy that you said didn't have technique and couldn't dance is in a Tony Award winning show and is nominated for the Astaire Award for Best Dancer in a Musical for Memphis. Well, we were, we were actually nominated as an ensemble. So like we're, oh. so I, I gotta give credit where credit's due. Oh, okay. We all were I thought nominated. you specifically were No, nominated. no, no, we all together uh, were Oh, nominated. okay, all right. Mm -hmm. Misinformation. No, no, no worries, <laughs> no worries at all. So real quick, did you ever work in music theater Wichita? I didn't. You didn't? What is MTW? Musical Theater West. Musical oh, Theater West. Oh, okay. Or oh, is that maybe how you met Steve Cladini? Yes. Oh. So I went down to Musical Theater West when I was in LA, and that's how I got my equity card, actually, going backwards. So once I got off scholarship in LA, I was doing musical theater regionally, mostly in the LA area. So that was like Reprise Musical Theater was oh, there. Oh, yes. You know, Musical Theater West in Long Beach. So I went to audition for the Pajama Game at Musical Theater West uh, with Steve Glaudini as the artistic director. And there we, they gave you my equity card to dance Steam Heat. And that's, and that's how I got into the union. So oh, excellent. Well. well, we'll get back to that because yeah. I'm from Southern California. So, okay. so when did Silence the Musical come into your life? Silence the Musical came, I mean, what was that? Just a few years ago, really. That came after How to Succeed. You know, Chris Catelli called me up and said, do you want to be in this, you know, off-Broadway quirky show? And I went and saw it, and it's like such a crazy little funny show to be in, but there's that dream ballet part. Oh, where, okay. You know, so there's this one big partnering section where the dream Hannibal Lecter comes out and does this paw with this girl. And uh, yeah, so then he said, we want to jump into it. And so I did. I took over for Callum Bergman, who was in there for a while, and Sarah Oglebe, who I'd worked with on How to Succeed, was, the, was my dance partner. And I came in, but you know, right as soon as I got announced that I was joining the cast, it it, it announced its closing notice like <laughs> two weeks later or something. Oh no! Three, maybe three weeks later. So it was like a dual notice, like Charlie joins the cast of Silence slash it closes. Because <laughs> so, it's amazing because it's in a it was a tiny little theater right like next to where they have a haunted house and everything. Like yeah, that. the Spectra Theater, I think, or the Electra Theater or yeah. something. Yeah. I just love the fact that like. In this business, one minute you can be in a tiny little theater doing silence musical, mm -hmm. or you can be on Broadway, Radio City, and you're constantly saying yes to performing wherever it is if the material is good. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and it doesn't lessen it, the product at all. You know what I mean? You can yeah. be in a 99 seat theater, or you could be in Radio City Musical, like you said, and it, we're still all doing the same thing. Yes. You know? I saw not, uh, Silence Musical in the Fringe Festival. It's quite the off-the-wall show. I really like, I mean, I think they should do it somewhere else because it, it was a real crowd pleaser. Oh, you know? yeah. So with uh, Leap of Faith, I was one of the few people that actually got to see it. You pour your heart and soul into uh, to a show and it had 
cast changes and directors changes. So I did Leap of Faith in LA with Rob oh, okay. Ashford. So I didn't even, I was oh. in How to Succeed when Leap of Faith came into Broadway. So at the time I got offered to be in the show, but at the time I had family drama and, and a lot of other things and How to Succeed was just the perfect fit for me to stay in. So oh. to take on another rehearsal period and whatever wasn't really right for me at the time so I stuck in how to succeed but you know they switched choreographers so it's, it's still the same thing Rob Ashford was the director choreographer of our LA production of Leap of Faith but then you know Christopher Ashley and Sergio Trujillo took it over for Broadway so I didn't yeah I didn't even get to see it but it was sad for us that it wasn't it wasn't going to be the Rob. Oh, right. Do they even offer it to the next cast, or they recast some of us, they, some of it? Yeah, some of us they offered it to, and some of us they didn't. It's just one of those weird, random things, but it was completely different than the version we did in oh, LA. Oh, okay. As from what I hear, I didn't get to see it. Like you said, it, it came and went pretty quickly. Next thing you know, the show's closing, but even before that, it was shocking. Like, okay, new creative staff, and go. Yeah, it's the craziness of this business. Yeah. Like, you never know. You just never know. But it seems like you have a great relationship with Christopher Ashley. Yeah, I love, I mean, Chris Ashley, we just did actually the workshop of Margaritaville, which he's now directing oh, in okay, La Jolla. Yes. So I just worked with him recently on that. And that was actually a lot of the same creative team as Memphis. So it was cool, like uh -huh. Kelly Devine was working on it with us as choreographer and she had assisted Sergio Trujillo on Memphis and Kenny Seymour and Yankee, all these people. It was like coming back to my original roots to work again on a new musical oh. with the same same team was really awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. No, they're, they're working on an original piece, thrilling, especially if you have people that let you bring yourself to the table. Absolutely. And I think at this point, once you, you kind of get a shorthand with a lot of creatives as far as they know what you do, they know what you like, they know you can just kind of make it work once you work with the same people a lot. It's, it's refreshing to be able to kind of read each other's minds a little bit, you know? Yeah. So uh, do you think you can read Rob Asher's mind? To a T. To a T. Yes, I can. I've worked with Rob now so much on so many different levels of things from working on things like we did Chris and Shannon with Disney Concert Hall show together to how to succeed in business on Broadway to these live musicals to the Oscars to the Kennedy Center honors mm. to the Tony Award numbers so we've really run the gamut of things to work on in this business so he's afforded me all these different learning experiences yeah we've we've can read each other's minds for sure and so do you like that part of being uh, being an assistant and being an associate and being part of that process it's difficult because a lot of times you have to do more they throw stuff at you and they're like try this do this yeah luckily rob sets up such a great atmosphere to create so it's not just like rob barks orders and says i need this figure it out make it happen you know we we really him and i and, and sarah oglebe and christopher bailey we all have a great shorthand with each other mm. and it really feels like a team effort so i love working with rob as an associate I'm starting to do my own things now with my own choreography and directing and choreographing regionally. So I'm, I'm more exploring that direction, mm. but it, Rob is now such a close friend and close collaborator that when Rob calls, I have to answer the phone. Oh, you know, absolutely. He, he's, he's really just provided me a career, really. Yeah, I love Rob Ashford's choreography, but when I watch it, it looks impressive, but it looks really hard. I don't think I'd want to do it. Um. <laughs> yeah, it is It is hard. You get a workout. When you're in a Rob Ashford show, you you can uh, eat what you want because it's quite the cardio. Right. And is it, is it how hard is it on your body and injury-wise? Have you had riddled with injuries in your career? Or are you pretty good? You know what? Knock on wood, I've had a pretty healthy career. I, I In Memphis, I sprained my ankle pretty bad doing this double tour off of one of the 
the shelving things and one of the numbers. No, I, I've been luckily pretty healthy. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. So you talked about doing your uh, own choreography, and I don't know you very well, or I don't actually know you at all. The only time I met you, you were about to choreograph the Orlando tribute, yes. which I think was great. I met you briefly on the street, and I was excited about that because I wanted to do it, Yes, uh, but I was unavailable. But after meeting you and seeing that you're kind of a cool humanitarian, I started following you on the Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of the reasons I decided I wanted to do this interview because all of a sudden you opened up this whole other impression I had of, of you, which was, you know, me very talented, very nice, very handsome man. But I found out that you're really smart and you're intelligent. So I, I took two Facebook posts that you wrote that I just saved them because I was like, when I interview him, I want to talk about them. So I'll let you actually read them, but start with the yeah. first one. Yeah, this was just from a few weeks ago. It was when I was sitting outside watching the show as Dance Captain at Saigon. I said, tonight at Saigon, I watched close to 2,000 people sit still, be silent, not check their phones, and have a collective experience. Theater is our connection to being human. We can't afford to cut funding for the arts. We can't afford to lose young artists, and we can't afford this administration. Hashtag not my president. <laughs> I like the fact that you have no fear in saying what you believe what's going on in this country with politics and i like that because you take risks in being yourself where did you decide like i'm going to say my opinion i think we have no other choice i mean i think we're this gets into a bigger conversation about social media and what life is about and you know how we communicate with people but like if you're not going to put things on social media like facebook and things about what you really believe in then it's even a bigger waste of time than it already is you know i think so I like to put things up there that some people might feel a little controversial, you know, and I think right now we're living in a crazy, crazy time of, uh, of technology and social media is one aspect of it, but also this administration and the current policies of the world are just a little bit scary. So I feel like I have to post about it and it, and it is a little bit of a relief for me so that I just feel like I'm not going along with the, the sheep of the world and just kind of following. And I like to be knowledgeable about what's going on. So if someone disagrees with something I post, then I take their, you know, I take what they've said, I think about it. I think we all need to listen to each other a little bit more. Otherwise, you know, puppy pictures and pictures of your fierce dinner downtown are fun, but what are we... We're spending all this time on social media anyway. We should at least make it worthwhile. Well, I agree. And I, yeah. I, I love when people like yourself make things worthwhile. And you've educated me, I can only speak for myself, on things where I'm like, oh, I'm going to look at that post. Oh, I'm going to follow this article. Uh -huh. Because you have a heartbeat on something that you make it interesting just to like talk about this horrible political climate. Yeah, exactly. I think it's important. Otherwise, why are we wasting so much time on our phones? Already, I think that's another problem too. I feel like I'm on my phone too much and I'm looking at the screens too much and we're not talking to each other face to face like you and yeah. I are right now. Like, I think we I have to, I, it's a duty to like talk to each other about it. Right. Well, on that note, read the second one I just wrote. The second one, yes, exactly. My Facebook post says, more and more it seems like we're defined by our online presence rather than our presence. Scary. And that's true. I feel like in this business, you know, nowadays you have to, I've heard of crazy things where you have to have a certain amount of followers to be seen for different roles. And, you know, casting directors are looking at so your social media, which, you know, of course they are. Everyone's looking at your social yeah. media. You Google somebody and it comes up, but it's just, it's a scary place where then all of a sudden what's, rea what's reality and what's not. 
Do you take my social media as my reality? If you only look at my Instagram, it looks like I have the most fantastic life I've ever, you know? It looks like I'm constantly on a beach, I'm constantly shirtless, <laughs> I'm constantly working some amazing job, you know, which I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be lucky enough to do a lot of those things, but it's not my whole, you know, I do have sad days, you just don't post selfies right. on your sad days, <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. So, so, but on your sad days that you could say, here, this is uh, what's going on. This is why I'm sad. And that's what I like about, I'm obviously yeah. a fan of your social media stuff. I like that sure. your stuff isn't really personal. It's right. proactive. Yeah, well, with something to be done about it, because that, that makes that somehow makes me feel a little bit better. If I'm frustrated with the you know something that our administration has done, I will post about it and be like, "Is anybody else? Am I crazy here? Am yeah. I the only?" You know, and it, somehow hearing people say things kind of helps me. And when people say no, you know, when they disagree with me, it gives me a better idea of where other people are at. Yeah. You know, but when it comes to social media and your presence and branding. Despite that stuff that we just talked about, you also have to do career-wise and image-wise. I mean, what do you think that is? Do you mean do you have an, do you have enough Instagram followers to book something? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have to be smart. Is the thing. It is a tool. It is a tool. So yeah, it's it's sometimes it's a double-edged sword. It's great to be able to, if you're a singer, to post a little bit of you singing on there. If you're a dancer, same thing. But. You just gotta be smart. Some people post things like, when they post negative things, like, oh my gosh, I hated, like, let's take the live musicals, for example. Mm. A lot of people, you know, had strong feelings about that, and, and they hated Sound of Music, or they hated Peter Pan Live, but they don't realize that social media is a tool, like, casting directors who cast those things are looking at that and saying how horrible you thought it was, and how it was a big old stinker. Same thing with me, like, I was part of that, and so I try to keep the negative posts, the negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to post that, because I don't understand what who's getting anything out of it besides making a, a negative environment on online or in your head you know your post if you're typing those negative comments and negative things it just i feel like it gets into you and it's in your brain and you start to your aura starts to get a little negative yeah you know so um i would just say be smart you can have those feelings obviously you don't have to like everything but it just gets a little tricky when that ca same casting director that you said you know really did a shitty job doing that thing you want to audition for them the next day and they look at you like you're crazy well they looked at your social media like yeah. you know you just got to be smart about what you post i think you yeah. said a couple of things like you secreted uh your jobs and talking about your aura do you have like a spirituality to yourself that gets you through this business so i'm assuming you it's not always happiness and brought absolutely so not i tell you it's not a happy it's not absolute happiness it is a tough business always yeah you know i'm in saigon right now and, and actually it's been a really tough time these last few months with different other reasons but like yeah it's it's tough man it's not all sunshine and rainbows even for the people who are working right and they're the what one percentage of of people out there who are you know in our union who are working like it's it's tough. Do I have a spirituality? No, but I do think that what you what you say and what you write and what you feel echo. I think we all have kind of a vibration. Mm. I'm sure that maybe that goes along with a specific religion or a specific ideals about life, but I just feel like I, I'm trying my best making positive reinforcements all throughout my life every day. Trying to not be negative is mm. my 
my goal. That That's I'm a good goal. On. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that goes for my social media as well. Like I'm, I'm always trying to be like, hey, let's all breathe. Let's all lighten up. Because otherwise, you feel like you can just get like weighed down with with everything that's happening. You scroll through the news, or you scroll through people's negative comments, and just it, it sucks the life out of you. Oh, it does. Yeah. No, I guess in the middle of last summer. Someone said to me, like, oh, you have to uh, interview Charlie Williams. He's actually out of work, and he's never out of work. You know this business is failing. And I just thought that was such a weird thing that someone was like, they wanted me to interview during a dark time. Yeah. I mean, I'm out of work a lot. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, I'm lucky enough that I get to work, but... Uh, and I've done the things I've done, and that's like a blessing a million times over in this world. But, like, man, I've had some really out of work times yeah. people i just don't post about them so people who don't know me so well i think just see i go from job to job to job to job but really that's just what i'm putting out there on social media so i think after this conversation i'm going to post something next time i don't have a gig i'm gonna be like oh. guys i am broke i don't have a gig i'm sad <laughs> here's proof you know no you can just interviews plenty because you don't have to do that yeah. what is your relationship with your body image because you have an exquisite body. I don't know, you're ripped or whatever the kids say. Uh-huh, yeah. And it's uh, part of part of your image. It's, now it's part of your career. It's part of your tool. And I mean, you're also very good looking. So how does that, on top of keeping up with everything else in your life, play into you? You know, it's a double-edged sword, Brad. I gotta say, it's like, I love working out. I love going to the gym. I, that's my thing. Like some people go to yoga every day. I go to the gym every day because that's really what I like. Has it helped me in this business? Absolutely. Like, I, my that's kind of what I'm known for, I think, is like I'm kind of that muscly, you know, ensemble member. So it, it, it's great, but it but is... I've heard that you're really talented and, and as well. Yeah, well, you know, that... Just you know. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. But it's kind of a double-edged sword because I think immediately you look at me and I think people think... You kind of draw your own conclusions. Oh, like a muscly Chelsea boy who's kind of slow or dumb or doesn't really... You know, I, I've... They just draw their own conclusions. When you see a muscly guy, you think certain things. Right. So I don't really think that fits me mentally, though. I don't think I'm just like a, a muscly sort of gym rat guy. So I kind of have a. I like when people like I like when we get to have conversations like this because I feel like I can kind of get people to know a side of myself that they wouldn't really expect. You know what I mean? I didn't expect that, and maybe yeah. that's my own fault for saying, "Oh, dumb, yeah. dumb rat," and then I'm like, "No, he's not." You know, and I'm not saying woe is me, but I'm just saying I don't think what I put out there is exactly what represents me on the inside and I think that's okay the thing not to get to you can edit this out if you want but like you know I was talking to my therapist about it the other day because people do look at me and they think a certain thing he lo- oh he loves to take his shirt off he's always se- doing sexy photo shoots he must you know sleep around and do this and do that and blah blah, blah. but I, I really am not I'm actually a very kind of shy person when it comes to anything like sexual like that and like my therapist said but that's a, I said well do I change my outlook like do I change what I look like then do I stop kind of going to the gym and kind of try to aim to match my inner self my personality a little bit more and my therapist was like absolutely not like it's okay that people see you through a certain lens and if that lens doesn't make sense to them and the lens is a little blurry to them that's fine like you have to make sure that you see yourself through your own lens and that it's clear and it doesn't matter that if it's your lens can be different than everyone else's but that's the only one you have to worry about is your own i kind of like the kind of sometimes like you say is a little bit shocking to people when they're like oh he actually i don't know knows about politics or wants to do different things or doesn't or he's not on the you know dating apps and looking for hookups or whatever you know i think it's interesting that i shock people sometimes i think it's great and you should change everyone else should change how we put 
people in boxes. Exactly. And that's this business, truthfully. I mean, that's how you do. We all signed up for that. You signed up to walk into an audition room and immediately you look like the character actor part or you look like the leading man. You look like the hero. So it's cool to break those bounds a little bit in our real life. I think our business is always going to be that way because you have to kind of judge a little bit on looks and that's what you're getting. You're buying a product. Uh But... In real life, when we're all not in Chelsea Studios or Ripley Greer or Pearl Studios, like let's all like kind of you know get to know each other a little bit more. Absolutely. Yeah. How much time do you actually spend at the gym? I like to go. I go for about an hour and a half every day if I can. Every day. Every day. I mean, you know, I'll take a, a day off every week. I'm supposed to take a day off every week. But truthfully, if I'm bored, I'll, I like to go and at least run or get some cardio in. But hour and a half every day is my my thing. That's great. It's discipline. Yeah. And speaking of you shirtless, my favorite thing I've seen you shirtless was Mozart in the Jungle. Yes. <laughs> uh, that was that was really awesome, especially because I love Dead Monk. Yeah. And for those of you who don't watch the show, uh, just say it was a great, great bit you had on that show. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's another cool... I've gotten to really dig into different sides of this business. So that was a little acting thing I did on uh, Mozart in the Jungle. I mean, I played a stripper. Shocker. I played a stripper, and like, but it was a... Johann Sebastian Koch was my name, and I... <laughs> And I got to read this little thing for Deb Monk at her surprise party, and it was like a great little day. And and I got that because I go to the gym every day. So that right. was the thing where it worked out, where they looked at me and they said, "Here's a muscly meathead guy. He's gonna play the stripper." Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. On a and on a Tony winning laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just think exactly. that's so cool. Going back to uh, Musical Theater West, mm-hmm. uh, you you choreographed All Shook Up at Moonlight Amphitheater. Yes. Which is so funny because I think it was the year before, the year after, I directed and choreographed Spam a lot there. Oh, cool. Because I know Steve Glogdini because I grew up with his wife, With Bets. Bets. Of I'm, from, I'm from San Diego. Yes. And you did a tribute to the uh, Orlando Survivors and you did it yes. through, through dance, which I saw and it was beautiful. Yeah. And I also saw your online reel of your choreography. Your choreography is really exquisite. I don't, that's another thing. I wasn't expecting it to be so emotional and lyrical yeah so is that now where you see yourself going as a choreographer absolutely I find that that's my that's kind of my next horizon it's kind of like from jumping from one thing the crazy world of auditioning as a performer is one kind of mountain that I've been climbing for a while and now it's kind of the next mountain is choreography and direction so yeah to direct and choreograph all shook up at moonlight was really fun and then uh, This Sweet Love is what it was called for the Orlando tribute that coded with Dana Robinson. Yeah, those things are really kind of what I find are, are paying off and giving me the most back as far as just kind of fueling my artistic spirit right now is, is calling my own shots is what I'm looking for. And also, did you do on Fire Island? Yeah, I've co- I co-choreographed with Rob Ashford on One Piece, and then I, just a couple years ago, I choreographed a, a tribute to my mother for Fire Island, which was, again, an amazing thing that I've actually gotten to reset a couple times around the world. I, I reset that piece in Morocco and Houston, Texas, actually. So it's been that kind of worked out well for me, too. And did you also do a Broadway Bears? Yeah, I choreographed a number for Broadway Bears a few years ago called Mirror Mirror, and that was super fun. And I mean, Broadway Bears is always just the oh, most yeah. fun ever. So yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, so the choreography thing really ha- is really paying off right now. Which I love the through line that I'm, I'm seeing is all of these things. There's a humanitarianism about you. They're all for good reasons. Your goodness goes beyond the footlights. It's like, so I like the fact that you're still making a difference even though it's your art. Absolutely. I mean, isn't that... Yes, I would love... That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said. Like, that is good to hear, and I'm glad that that's showing. I think it's important to 
use your art for good purposes and for the, just the good in the world. It's good stuff anyway when people get to see and be quiet and listen to a show or I think it brings about good feelings to kind of unplug from the world for a second and plug into this world of magic really that we all create on Broadway every night. I think we, if we can use our art to bring about social change or to bring about positivity, then why not? That sounds like the best of both worlds. To go back to social media just real quick. Yeah. <laughs> this past week you've been posting wonderful things about your swings, but also yes. saying that you guys have been in swing mania and uh, split tracks. So how is life as dance captain over at Miss Saigon? It is hectic. I gotta tell you, it is it is hectic. We have a huge cast. We have 29 ensemble members on stage every day. You know, people are just kind of dropping like flies right now. We had a flu go through our, our oh. female ensemble, and now um, we have a couple male ensemble who are hurt. You know, and that's to be expected. You know, people don't and people can't show up all the time, 100%. But we have five swings who are just rocking it out and the you know we our female swings Vivica and Carol have been on for male parts that's cool uh, so yeah I mean it's it's we're really all hands on deck all the time like I said Carol Vivica Mike and Julius we all just kind of have accepted that anything goes in this show so we all just are all hands on deck all the time and we're making it happen yeah yeah you get a great connection from the show do you like going on do you like performing the show or do you enjoy the dance captain part more truthfully it's more the dance captain thing for me in this one it's kind of a math equation every time someone's out because we have to rejigger some things we have to just kind of make things work so yeah but i mean the show is amazing i mean we're really there i think to help support the story of these leads you know what i mean there's not a huge amount of big ensemble dance numbers we're just really there to further the story their story mm. you know it's amazing i'm loving every second of it wow. Yeah. So I find that the best dance captains are more about people skills. How are your people skills in knowing who to give notes to? Do you like telling people what to do and giving corrections? Because sometimes people just won't take notes. Yeah, I mean, that's hard. That's a hard, yes. People skills are, you have to know how to give notes to each specific person and their personality. It's hard to be told that you're doing something wrong on stage and people put their guard up and all of a sudden, so you have to approach it in a certain nice way. I've actually been on so much these past couple weeks, I haven't even really been able to give as many notes as I'd like to <laughs> because I've been on stage next to them. So, but yeah, I do like giving notes and being in charge. That's something I really, I really enjoy and, and the people aspect of it, yes. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, I, I, we can edit this next part out. You did a tribute to your mom. Yeah. And then you also talked about earlier not having a lot of family left. Yeah. So do you feel like you're, when it comes to family, did your mom pass? Yeah, my mom passed going on four years now of breast cancer, mm. which was a really hard time. During How to Succeed, she was going through a lot of the chemo and everything like that. So that's why How to Succeed was a good place for me to be at the time because as uh, assistant choreographer on the show, I kind of had a little bit more clout there where I could take a week off and go go back home and help her deal with things and then come back to the show mm. you know usually it wouldn't be quite so easy but because it was rob ashford and because it was kind of you know a show that helped create i was given a lot of free reign there to go home and help her out so yeah so that that was a you know kind of a silver lining of the time was i had a job that could afford me to go back and forth a lot did your mom get to see you on Broadway? She did. She got to see me uh, in How to Succeed, and I actually went on for Bud Frump for one of the leads in the show. You did? And she came to see that. So that was actually the last time she saw me was me being a principal on Broadway, so there you go. That's amazing. Yeah. How so. was it being an understudy? Did you like it? 
Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy being an understudy. You know, it's kind of the same thing with being in a swing. You know, you kind of just always have to be ready. How to succeed and that bud front part is so much fun. Mm -hmm. uh, Christopher Hankey was, you know, the one who originated the role and he's a good friend of mine. So it was fun to go on for him when he was out. And so I went on, I think like three or four times. That's so great. Yeah. You have to also have, were you a swing in that show as well? No, I wasn't. You I wasn't on stage. Yeah, on stage track. Because uh, there's a certain temperament, I think. Swings, I don't understand how smart they are. They're so, it's so difficult. They don't get enough credit. Agreed. I have the temperament to be an understudy, but not to be a swing. But it takes certain, because you've done both. What is it that you think is key? Truthfully, I'm figuring it out. I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out the answer to that question, because I'm the same way as you. I'm like, swings are superheroes to Superhero. me. I don't understand how the brains work. I'm finding my own little way of like, you know, making my own notes. I think to each their own, is there's no set way where you have to be a swing. Mm. Yeah, I'm still figuring it out. So if you find the answer before me, let oh, me know, because I'm I, figuring I it out. Uh, do you, what's your relationship with singing? Do you feel like you're a strong singer? You said that Just Can't Wait to Be King was one of your first audition songs. Yeah, when I was a kid, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love singing. Is it my, it's not really my passion. Like, I don't want to get up there and sing a huge ballad by myself. But I think I do it well enough to get hired in the ensemble of shows. I'm probably not gonna be uh, playing uh, Dear Evan Hansen anytime soon. <laughs> I do enjoy it. So of your long and incredible career, are there highlights of something that were just so magical? I'm assuming your mom seeing you butt front, but besides that. Yeah. Spencer Liff asked me to do the Emmy Awards as a dancer with him, and I got to meet Elton John, who is one of my like absolute idols. So that was a huge, huge moment for me. I think just traveling around and being able to do as many different things has been the highlight. The fact that I've been able to direct and choreograph and I've been able to do acting on TV and, and that I've, I've gone to Germany, I've gone to Morocco, I've gone to India this past year for, for work. It's been, wow. it's been a really crazy adventure. I think that's the highlight is that it's not just Broadway show to Broadway show to Broadway show. It's, it's really mixed, which I'm very blessed to be able to have done a little bit of everything. Well, that's great. What about, the, you mentioned the Kennedy Center Awards. Who, do, who was celebrated then, that year? Uh, we've done, I mean, I've done it, for, I think I've done it four years now. Oh, I've done it four great. times, so it's been everybody. We, we celebrated Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks we did. We did um, Shirley MacLaine. We did a big thing for Shirley MacLaine. It, it's been just a million people we've honored, so it's been quite an awesome. The Kennedy Centers is a great gig, oh, one of my fantastic. favorites. Yeah. And with President Obama in there. Yeah, and we did, the first year I did it was for Jerry Herman, so we did this huge thing with Carol Channing and uh, Matt Morrison. And you know, Jerry Herman's songbook is so crazy. Laura Benanti was involved in that, and Barbara Cook we also honored as well, which we had all the divas for, so Audra McDonald and Patti LuPone and Christine Ebersole. Oh and, my gosh. I mean, it was, yeah, we get to work with some crazy amazing people on those. Well, didn't you choreograph an event for Carol Channing's birthday? Yep, I, I just, so last time I worked with Carol was on the Kennedy Center Honors, yes. like I said. And that's actually when her, there's like a Netflix documentary out about that time in her career where we're all on it rehearsing for the, for the Kennedy Center. And then, you know, then I think that was like six years later, it just happened this past year, we did her 95th birthday celebration. It was a big thing in Palm Springs where she lives at the theater there. So we, we did a big uh, kind of take on the waiter's gallop and it was a huge success. And we sang Hello Dolly and she's still singing. Like we ran a mic down to her in the audience in the front row and she's still knows every word and still can like belt it out. So oh, wow. she's quite, quite a spectacular lady. Oh. Well, you're a, quite a spectacular man. I'm so glad that you agreed to do this. Oh.
Oh, oh my god, I am so embarrassed. Sorry, Charlie, I, I meant to turn my phone off. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, that's weird. It says that Charlie Williams is calling me now. Hello? Hey, Brad, before you end the interview, just FYI, it's been a few months and I have some, uh, some new news. What, what kind of news do you have? Well, I'm no longer at Saigon, actually. Things move very quickly in this business. <laughs> and I'm the associate choreographer on Frozen. Really? Didn't that just open in Denver? Yes, so we just opened in Denver, where, so we have a two-week run there. And then we come to Broadway in the new year, January 2018. So how did that happen? How did you all of a sudden get attached to Frozen so quickly? Well, you know, I've worked with Rob Ashford, as I said, for a long time. Uh, you know, being his assistant, his associate. So then, you know, he got brought onto the project. And so therefore, I got brought onto the project. You know, the rest is kind of history. We, we made it work. And I just got back from uh, two months in Denver. So That's it was amazing. a lot of fun. When creating Frozen and creating, like, the ensemble, what was the vision that... Rob had for the ensemble to do be part of the storytelling and how were you involved in that creation? Well, you know, we talk about it a lot in pre-production as far as how we want to use the ensemble as a tool and kind of show, you know, the effect that these two sisters and Frozen have on this town called Arendelle. And, and so it's really, you know, the ensemble as in most shows is like the barometer, you know, of, of, of the story and kind of you're able to check in with the ensemble to kind of see how everything's moving along. So we really use, we use the ensemble a lot in the show. And, you know, it goes, especially in Frozen, obviously, as the title states, goes from a, you know, beautiful summer environment all the way through a blizzard and back again. So, you know, we really have to use the ensemble to show that. Were you very careful handling this beloved story? Because I know there's so much anticipation and a zillion little girls are going to want it to be just right. That, I mean, that just seems like a lot to be put on your shoulders as a creative team. Well, sure. I mean, it's always that double-edged sword, Brad. It's like you have a beloved tale that everybody knows, you know, every parent who has a kid from the age of, you know, zero to 15 knows the story of this movie. So obviously you want to do it justice, but in the same time, you also want to, you know, put your own artistic stamp on it in a way. So you don't want to just put up exactly word for word and move for move up on the stage what they see in the movie because that's kind of what you know what's the point if you don't say something about it so it's it's the balance we do a little bit of both and i hope you know i hope we got it right but you know we have we did our denver production it's running right now and then we have a few months now to kind of go back to the drawing board tweak a few things fix a few things and then we'll have our show well i have two questions for you as an associate choreographer when it comes to creating a new piece how much can you contribute how much do you say, hey, Rob, I have this great idea. How much does he ask for your help? And that, I mean, because you get to be, are you, you're not just an assistant, you're a part of the, the vision. Totally. I mean, that's why I love working with Rob because it truly is a, a team effort with him, you know, and, and it's a great thing. I'm not just there to do exactly what he tells me. I'm there to challenge him and he challenges me and the other associate choreographer, Sarah Gleeby. So we really work as a team, like, we each have our strengths and weaknesses, and yeah, I, I have a lot to say. <laughs> as, <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> do. He's great at listening, and so sometimes he'll say, that's a great idea, let's do it, and sometimes he'll say, I don't think, I think that's the wrong direction, and it kind of, it's a, it's a system of checks and balances in a great way, so I love working with Rob. And will you continue to work when it comes to Broadway? Will that, that relationship continue on that production? Yep, yeah, so then I'll be, you know, I'll be the associate on Broadway, and then you know, depending on what happens with the future of the show, as far as other companies go or international companies or tours, 
you know, we'll kind of take it step by step as far as all that goes. But I'll I'll definitely have the opportunity to be involved, you know, when that time comes. Well, I'm so excited. I can't wait to see it. I have another question yeah. about being an associate just in general, not just on this show. I've heard from many friends that are associates that when it comes to the producers and the contracts and how they look at associates, you guys aren't really given fair treatment when it comes to what your rights are. Is there a movement to get associate choreographers better negotiating? Absolutely. I mean, it's a real bummer. And I got to tell you, just as far as how associates go, we're not covered by any union. So as an actor in a Broadway show, you get health insurance and you get, you know, your 401k and a guaranteed salary and kind of a protection of a union. But as an associate choreographer, you get nothing. You know, we're not we're not in a union. We're not covered by SDC, which is the director and choreographer union, kind of creative union, and we're not covered by Actors Equity. We kind of fall right in the middle. So we don't. We're working on the show, you know, overtime and uh, you know all the extra hours spent creating a show, and you don't get any overtime. You don't get health insurance, including especially with the new thing now with the new shows that are opening, including Frozen where the cast gets a little percentage of the, once it recoups, they get a little bit more money, uh, depending on how much the show makes. It happened with Hamilton, it's happening with Frozen. As the original cast, you kind of have earned some, you know, a little piece of the pie, which I think is really important. But as a creator and as an associate director, we don't get any of that as well. So it's kind of a bummer that here we are creating steps and, you know, everyone who's at the unions, they'll always get money from the shows from now on and we won't get anything as the associates. So it's really kind of a problem, you know, as well as health insurance. So we don't get, we don't get anything towards health insurance, which of course in this day and age is kind of a problem for our country in general, but it really is a bummer to be working alongside your, you know, cast members and they're getting health insurance and you're not. So it's kind of tricky. So yeah, there is a movement to kind of get us uh, recognized a little bit more and get us some union protection and some of these rights that everyone else who's working in the same room as us have. You know, fingers crossed, we'll keep uh, working towards that. Well, I hope so. I thought you'd at least get points since you're in the room creating it. I didn't realize you don't even get a point. No, we don't even get a percentage of a point because there's, that's an ec- actor's equity rule and we're not covered under equity. So uh, it's kind of a bummer. <laughs> yes, it is a bummer. Oh. Oh, well, yeah. well, hopefully, I mean, it's going to run forever and have a zillion companies and people will be auditioning when the Ireland company of this opens, they'll audition for you. Exactly. Hopefully that will be the payoff because it is unfair. The associates work their butts off. My last question and then I'll let you go. You got right off the plane and started a brand new choreography gig doing, is it, I love you, your perfect now change reboot? Yes. Yeah, so we're, you know, we're updating. The show came out a long time ago, you know, so there's nothing in and the show's about dating life, uh, you know, modern dating life. But when the show was written, we didn't even have iPhones at the time, you know. So there was no such thing as Tinder or Grindr or any of the dating apps. So, you know, Joe DiPietro, the, the writer who I worked alongside with in Memphis, of course, who gave me my Broadway debut, you know, he kind of went back to the drawing board on a few scenes and updated some things. More modern scene work happening. So it's really, really exciting. Oh, that is so great. And where's that going to be at? We're at George Street Playhouse, where I worked a couple seasons ago on a play. And David Saint is the artistic director. who's a good friend of mine. And he's directing the show as well. So... It's really a family affair at this go-around. Well, thank you so much for calling. I'll finish up your the rest of your interview now. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brad. You're welcome. All right. Okay, I'm back. I'm so sorry about that, Charlie. I end every episode with a, like a song. It can be any song from your life just to show where you are in your life. What would you pick? I pick 
I'm on a huge Patti LaBelle kick right now. Oh. Anything Patti LaBelle is my thing, but I pick Stir It Up by Patti LaBelle, which is like, it's about stirring it up, shaking it up, like, like let's, I think we should just shake it all up and figure some new stuff out and, you know, like throw paint on the wall and see what sticks. Like we gotta, I, anytime I'm feeling down or stuck, this is like an upbeat fun. It's actually from Beverly Hills Cop or something, <laughs> yeah, but it is a awesome cardio blast. So stir it up, Patti LaBelle. Stir it up. Yeah, baby. Done. Thank you very much. I of course. It. Thank you.